It's like I told Wit after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I can follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's looking <laughs> at your tweets. I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop fighting the good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void, <laughs> and that's what I like doing. Get you somebody not... that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does. Why did I pick Pitt to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm warm. Do we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob. It is roasty goodness, even though I was What's out. What's the percent on that? 11. Smells like you're drinking like a cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co host is Robbie Dowling. Today's show, as they are all season, is brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. We didn't have an opponent this last weekend, Robbie. We had a bye. Did you enjoy your Saturday off just watching other teams play? I didn't watch any other games. So, oh, uh, wow. <laughs> I, nothing. I'm, I watched a lot on my phone, but that was, uh, that was about it. So I had, um, it's a little difficult. I had my, my, my wife was working all weekend, so I had my daughter. So we did all sorts of other stuff. We did putt-putt and... They had an Oktoberfest in uh, the town I live in, so we went to that for a little bit. So we did all sorts of activities, but we did. Um, there was no football for me, so it was a nice reprieve uh, midway uh, through the season here. It's good to decompress from the football for a little bit, get back to family time. I'm sure that was enjoyable. Why don't you give us a cheers, and we'll get this thing kicked off. Well, I'll give a cheers to another uh, night game in Lane Stadium. So uh, they're striping the stadium for this one. I haven't figured out. I'm going to the game. I haven't figured out what color I'm supposed to wear yet, but I will (laughs) figure that out in advance. And if I don't, I'll just bring both colors. I'll figure it out when I get there. Um, But I am... I'm pumped. It'll be 7.30 kick, uh, a night game. I actually looked into paying some money for the fan experience to do the sideline for a quarter, but it's like 200 bucks a pop for, and it like, you have to do it. I can't just like leave my wife sitting in the stands. Yeah. So it would be like yeah. 400 bucks all in for that. So I couldn't, maybe next year I'll do it. Although the Notre Dame game would have been awesome. I'm just pumped. I'm ready for another night game in lane uh, and excited for that and get to be there for it. So cheers to that. Cheers, man. Yes, night game in Lane Stadiums are just the best. Now, I bought the shirt for the stripe thing because I was down there two weeks ago and they had the orange and they had the maroon. And I think they upgraded the quality this year of the shirts just a little bit. They're the ones that say let's go on them. I'm sure you've seen them advertised on your Twitter feed because they know that we're Hokie fans and I've been seeing that ad constantly. But yep. I got the orange one and I liked it and I wore it today actually. Um, but they were a little bit pricier because they weren't just the Gildane standard <laughs> T-shirt. It was a little bit nicer of a T-shirt, so it fit well. And, uh, yeah, I got the orange one, but they both look good, and I can't wait to see the stadium all striped out. I got to say, those shirts in the past were always – they were cool for the game, but they were really – they were terrible shirts. So Yeah, we, they weren't it, great shirts. So it ended up – it was one of those things where you wore it once – for the game, you put it in your drawer and you're like, okay, now I got the shirt from, you know, whatever color effect was going on. And you never wore it again until such time that your drawer got too full with like all of the t-shirts that you save up from all. And then inevitably it ended up going into the trash uh, because you never wore it. You couldn't even justify it if you wanted to. 
it was either that or you like made it into a t-shirt blanket or I like I had an old maroon effect shirt the other day. I it's my one of my painting shirts. Like it's got paint <laughs> marks all over it. But you know, long live uh Maroon Effect 2014 or whatever it was. <laughs> but I, I did find that the long sleeved effect shirts were better because like in the short sleeve, a lot of times like the sleeves like stick out funny and you just kind of yeah. like look like a seven year old in the t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like the long sleeve at least like attached at your wrist. So it like looked better than the, than the shorter sleeved ones, but I still have a few <laughs> kicking around in the drawers for sure. Nice. Uh, let's hop into the news and notes, man. AP poll still not in there, but that's all right. We moved up a little bit in the votes. Clemson dropped out though, which I thought was noteworthy because they haven't been out of the AP poll since 2011, I believe. And so it's, it's kind of crazy because they won against a a conference opponent, but they probably should have lost. And the pollsters clearly kind of thought the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. I can't believe 2011. I mean, that's crazy. So a decade they've uh, they've been in the AP poll and and finally dropped out. But I, regardless of that game, I think deservedly so. <laughs> Although yeah. you could say nine top twenty five teams lost as well, so uh, it wasn't exactly a a banner weekend for uh, for top teams anyway. And you could make the case for Clemson because one of their losses is to Georgia, who just stomped a hole in Arkansas. Yep. And the other loss was in overtime on the road. So, like, neither one of which are really that much of an indictment of how good your football team is, but it's more of the eye test, I think it is, with Clemson at this point. Uh, Wake moved up to 19, and NC State stays put at 23. Notre Dame, after their loss to Cincinnati, we're going to talk a little bit about that game, they're at number 14. So we got a top 15 team coming into town, and, hey, even if Notre Dame wasn't ranked, it's Notre Dame. And they're coming to Blacksburg, and that's only happened once before. Yep. But they are ranked. And so this game is definitely still a big game despite them losing to Cincinnati. Yeah, it should be it'll be it'll be nice. And I think that's probably the right placement for for Notre Dame. They definitely have some challenges in there, specifically on the offensive side of the ball that we'll get into. But I think it's probably the right placement for them. I think so. The top of the poll is still pretty fun. You've got Bama and Georgia, and at least I think it, and I know probably a lot of other people, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, but they seem by far the two best teams in the country and kind of showed that this past weekend. And then you got Iowa, Penn State, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma at three, four, five, six. And that's a fun, interesting group. Uh, and two of those teams are playing each other this weekend. Yeah. So all of the teams seem to have some warts here or there. Um, you know, Iowa has an amazing defense, they've had a lot of turnover luck. Penn State's got some some issues. Probably of all those, I I've said it and I continue to say it. I'm just not a believer in Oklahoma. It it's just I feel like they've come so close to tripping up numerous times, and it's going to happen uh, inevitably. Of all those teams, honestly, I think the one that you know probably is the most well rounded out of is Cincinnati. Uh, quite know. honestly, and, I know, and has probably the uh, the most impossible. Uh, playoff chances of, of all of those. Well, what Cincinnati needs at this point is one of those AAC teams to step up because UCF has fallen kind of on its face and Memphis is not good. They just lost. But SMU is undefeated and that yeah. could provide a nice win for them later in the year because they beat TCU uh, if they can, can stay undefeated. But yes, that's going to be the thing for Cincinnati is not so much 
we know that they have to win out, but that that's not what it's about at this point. It's about can they get more quality wins and how well will the Notre Dame win age? And we're going to have a direct <laughs> hand in that this weekend. Unfortunately, yeah, we are uh, could be <laughs> victims of what they need to have happen, which is Notre Dame really to, to win out. And your note on Oklahoma, Texas this weekend. Yep. yep. I like Texas, man. And we'll talk about that game later when we pick it. But I, I like Texas in that game. I am on, uh, I'm probably on the same side you are in that game. So uh, uh, we'll see. So Pittsburgh played Georgia Tech last weekend, and they looked really, really good. Now, two weeks or what is it? Three weeks ago, they lost to Western Michigan yeah. in a shootout where their defense kind of let them down. But since then, they have been on a tear, and specifically Kenny Pickett has been on a tear. They dominated Georgia Tech. And we talked about at the end of the last podcast, they seem like the coastal favorites right now. Yeah, I mean, the UMass game, you throw that is what it is. Tennessee, yeah. they beat by touchdown. And that's looking better. Yep. Yeah, Tennessee's playing really well. They had that 44-41 shootout against WMU. They hit New Hampshire 77-7, and then Georgia Tech 52-21. So it, it's tough to tell. that You really got to put... Georgia Tech was playing well, so it's really the Georgia Tech game and the Tennessee game I think you really got to focus on, and both of those yeah. look like really good wins uh, based on their resumes. Because both of them were on the road, right? Mm-hmm. I think this past weekend was at Bobby Dodd, and I know the other one was in Nayland, So Yeah, they're both on the road. Pitt, what's crazy is Kenny Pickett was never that great in my eyes. I have spent several years on this podcast kind of bashing him as being an average quarterback, but like blown up to be better. Well, he's actually really good this year. It's kind of insane. He's got 19 touchdowns in one pick. And a 72% completion percentage. He basically <laughs> is just out to make you look like a fool. So I that mean, was his that was his whole goal this year was... Yeah, he uh, came back for a super senior year to make me look like an idiot. That's what he did. Because before this year... He, whatever I said was pretty much how it was. Like he was never a great passer according to his rating. That didn't stop him from killing us a couple years. And especially last year, I remember watching that game and I was down in Arlington with you and we were watching it. We're like, why is Kenny Pickett passing all over the place and like looking so good tonight? And it was an abnormal game. Well, that's what we're seeing this year, every game. And he's still got... I know it's not mind blowing, but he's got another 142 yards on the ground, another two yard or two touchdowns on the ground. He, I mean, he's averaging four yards per rush um, and probably a lot of scrambles, but you know, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And that's obviously not the next game, but it's coming up after Notre Dame. And in some ways I'm more worried about that game than Notre Dame. <laughs> I, I certainly am. And um, well, I, I guess some of it is, we, we thought that that game was probably going to be easier than it now feels like. Yeah. And so, so not that it's we, ever easy, but easier than yes. it's looking right now. And yeah. And you, you might say if you were to get a spread on us versus Notre Dame and us versus Pitt right now, what do you think? I think the spread, it would probably be bigger with, you know, Pitt would probably be favored. I mean, Notre by, Dame's one, right? So, yeah. If we're not favored against Pitt, there's odds are that it's going to be bigger than one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I bet Pitt would be favored by, you know, four and a half. Yeah. Probably four and a half somewhere. I was going to say three, maybe three and a half. Yeah, yeah. Something like that against us. So crazy. We'll have to see what comes out next weekend. Uh, let's go to the rankings. We're 40th in the FPI, 
And the SP plus actually moved us up from 41 to 33. So that was actually a pretty substantial move up, I guess, because some teams lost and we didn't play, but Notre Dame coming in at 18th in the FPI and 20th in the SP plus. So they're a little bit closer in where they think they are. I'm not sure. We just don't have enough data to know really where we are. I'm not sure if these rankings are good for us because they're factoring in a little bit more of last year for us than they are for Notre Dame. That's all right. And our schedule has been, I don't even know what they're probably factoring in right now for, you know, the UNC win. West Virginia is probably not looking great in an SP. It's, it's tough. I did to your point. I don't know if we have enough data points to really know what, what it should be saying to us. Yeah. One of the interesting nuggets I saw when perusing the rankings was that Notre Dame has played the 11th hardest schedule, according to Sagarin. I think we're in like the 80s, which makes sense because we haven't faced a very difficult schedule considering North Carolina has lost two games and West Virginia lost to Texas Tech, who had a bunch of players out with COVID last week. So Notre Dame has played three Power Fives, uh, FBS in Toledo, and then Cincinnati, who's the best G5 team. So their schedule is just... It's been brutal, and obviously that number 11 stands by that. So when you go through their statistics, and some of them we're going to hit on later, they're all you know, up against a higher echelon of criteria than ours are. Right, right. And you go through what it's going to look like them for the full year. They have us, then they get USC at home, and USC's you know, not great this year. They have UNC, Navy, who's terrible this year, UVA, Georgia Tech, and then Stanford, who just beat Oregon. So it's, none of those uh, games are a walk, though. Like, yeah, the, the, those are all decent teams. And exactly. Navy's been playing a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, those are all probably top fifty matchups. Tops, except top 50, for Navy, 60, probably, except yeah. for Navy. Yeah. Um, and so, and yeah, any of those teams can be. And a couple weeks ago, that schedule was looking a lot rougher than it is at the moment. But right. coming to Lane, it's going to be a tough test for the Irish who just lost uh, to Cincinnati and, and haven't had a bye week yet. Like they are banged up. They're probably a little tired. So this is a good spot for Virginia tech. And we'll get into the matchup in a little bit. I wanted to talk quickly about injuries. We still don't have word on Silas Zanzi or Parker Clements going into this game. And if you've heard any different, correct me. But what I heard on Janzi was like, they're just going to see, what happens this week in practice? And so yeah. that didn't seem super encouraging to me. No, it usually, usually doesn't. So um, <laughs> that, that said, uh, Notre Dame isn't announcing their quarterback until you see who's on the field. So, but I, I, that it doesn't sound good. So let's just you know put it that way and we can hope for the best, but it doesn't, it doesn't sound very assuring. Clem, uh, Fuente did say though, that he was pleased with the guys that were starting and that means, like we said in the last podcast, like we're probably going to see that same starting five yep. where they swap Tenuta over to the right again in this upcoming game if if Chansey can't go. So I don't know if that's – obviously that's not what we want. We would love to have Silas out there because that's our stronger unit. But um, it still doesn't mean we can't win the game. It's a, it's a decent starting five. It's, it's the best five we got, and let's roll with it if he can't play. On the flip side, you mentioned the quarterback. That's not – Injury related, that's just a choice that they're they're going with and they're just being coy. Yep. Brian Kelly's not telling us who they want to start, and we'll talk about that when we get to Notre Dame. But the um the tight end, Meyer, he's actually 
dealing with a groin. He mentioned it after the game that it happened in fall camp and it's kind of been nagging. And then in this past game, you saw him hobbling at the end. If you saw any of the highlights and he is their best offensive weapon for sure. So if he is like in trouble, like, or diminished in any way, like 85%, 70%, whatever he is, that's big for us. Yeah, that could be. Uh, he's. I have him called out as you know one of the keys to the game and in, in finding some way to cover him. But maybe that's some way to cover him as if he's just limited and you know he just doesn't have um, you know the same running ability that he normally not running but just kind of versatility that he normally has. The other one for Notre Dame was Hinnish, who is their nose tackle, three hundred pounds. He didn't play the last two games at least because of a concussion, but. Before the game this past weekend against Cincinnati, Kelly said it wasn't a concussion anymore and that he was sitting out for another reason. Hmm. And so it sounded a little fishy, and I don't know maybe if it was a disciplinary thing or or what, but he didn't play. But I'm kind of thinking Hinnish is going to be back for Virginia Tech. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a big game for them, especially trying to bounce back after Cincinnati. So I think if he can go and it's disciplinary, I'm, I'm assuming that he's they're going to – He'll probably be done with that by the time. Uh, yeah, that, that's speculative on my on my part, but I, I don't know why else Kelly wouldn't have said what it was. But right. he's a captain, like he's a team captain. He's their three hundred pound nose tackle. No other guy on the D line is within twenty pounds of him. Like yeah. he is, he's a game changer for them. So that that would be really big if they got Hinnish back. Let's move to basketball quickly before we get into the matchup. Rodney Rice, four star. Combo guard out of DeMatha commits to the Hokies. This was a huge get, and it looks like the addition of Mike Jones has already paid some dividends. It's pretty crazy. I think, you know, we saw, I think there was a uh, Twitter popcorn, uh, you know, reference that came up right before his commitment. So I think people had an idea something big was coming, but the announcement, um, you know, was huge and you know we continue to to bring in and, and punch way above our weight class but a an awesome pickup for um for the basketball team so that is exciting and continues to move up the uh the hype train for um for what we're seeing in the basketball program and i'll add to the hype train because he's our third highest recruit we've ever gotten committed to the basketball program at least since they've been ranking these things del curry i guess could have been higher but but uh <laughs> But this guy is three behind Dorian Finney-Smith and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, both of which play in the NBA. And Finney-Smith's already been in the NBA for, you know, five years, six years, maybe longer. Nas going on year two or three and probably has a few more years in front of him. So uh, this this could be an NBA talent. I'm not going to put it all the way on the kid, but like, He's right there with other NBA talents in terms of where he was recruited. So it's very exciting. And uh, just, I love Mike Young so much. I, I love what's happening with the basketball team. They had some media time this past week, and there was very complimentary notes on David Gasson and Storm Murphy, our new guard, combo guard, shooting guard. I'm not sure which one he's going to be, yep. uh, but he's going to play a lot, and he's going to, I think going to step in for Radford's minutes and maybe exceed even what Radford was doing. Yeah. I mean, that guy is, he's dangerous uh, shooting the ball. And I think, um, 
he he could be a really huge in addition just to the the awesome name i think he could be a huge addition especially with um you know filling in that that hole that we have for with radford i think that's going to be that's going to be big so it um i don't know it's looking good i think um i saw a note i think rothstein put us as a kind of a dark horse um in the in the tournament and in his rankings um you know take that what for what you will but it um it's looking good yeah man it's coming fast the first game is november 9th against maine so mark your calendars can't wait for basketball season but we still got football season and the last football note i have here is the pit game kick time was announced 3 30 p.m and i don't know about you robbie but that is like if i'm going to the game that's my favorite kick time oh absolutely yeah i mean it depends on how uh if you're you're playing on uh, hitting up a bunch of bars and things like that it just means you got to get up a little bit a uh, little bit earlier but avoiding the noon kick is always just the critical piece so i can i can yeah. deal with anything after after a noon kick but 3:30 is is ideal and uh, you can usually get some stuff done in the morning and you know take care of some errands stuff around the house and still have some time to to get settled in or or head to a bar and and check out the game so that will be uh that'll be perfect and from a sheer home field advantage standpoint, your crowd's going to be louder at 3.30 than it's going to be at noon. Mm-hmm. I, I would Nine times out of ten, I would say that's the case. And just because just of a little bit more lubrication. So that's, <laughs> let's that's hope that's, that's going to help us on the field against Pitt, and we're going to need it. So I love that 3.30 kick time. Can tailgate before and can still hit tots after for a full night. It's great. Let's get into Notre Dame, man. 7.30 p.m. ACC Network. You're going to be there. Notre Dame is 4-1. and one. Their wins are over Florida State, Purdue, Wisconsin, and Toledo. They just lost to Cincinnati, and everyone pretty much knows that. And in that game, I know you said you didn't watch much football, but Notre Dame really shot themselves in the foot over and over again. Turnovers, missed extra point at one point. Like They just they got down 17-0 at home. It was not a good start for the Irish, but it never felt like they were completely out of the game despite all that. Yeah, I mean, I read up a bunch on the game. I watched clips of it, and um, I tried to read some some of the blogs from the Notre Dame you know, fans, some of the people that do, do uh, Notre Dame coverage, and people were not very happy with the play calling. Let's just put it that way. So, you know, I think they started off passing the ball and immediately switched over to the run, and with their abysmal offensive line, that's never really a um, a good move because they have two stud running backs um, with Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree, and neither of them have been able to really do anything this year. And most people, um, you know, attest that to the offensive line. I, I don't really think either of those guys suddenly just fell off in talent and uh, and aren't able to uh, to do what they have in in years past. So uh, it it kind of deviated, but they they got themselves in a hole. They ended up scoring some points, but then they ended up playing both quarterbacks. Um, well, three quarterbacks, I think, ended up um, <laughs> yeah, you know, touching right. touching the ball in the game. So it it just seems like Tommy Reese is he's struggling right now. Um, you know, their offensive coordinator, who was a former quarterback at Notre Dame, and um, he is he's he's having some some challenges put together something on the field that is uh, cohesive and and productive. It sounds familiar, you know. <laughs> He's not used at Notre Dame. It's kind of a different problem for them because they're just not used to 
not having a top 10 offensive line in college football. Right. Because every year they churn out NFL talent on the offensive line. And for whatever reason, losing some guys to injury and guys graduating, they're just not strong up front. And it's costing them. Their their run game is non-existent. Yeah. Like, and whether it's just not calling it, you're not going to call it if you're not going to run for any yards. They're running for 2.4 yards a carry. It's fourth to last in NCAA football, 127. Yeah. So I, it's shocking to see Notre Dame that low on the rushing list when you have Chris Tyree and you have Kyron Williams. Those guys are studs, like stud, stud running backs we would kill to have, and they can't get loose. And so that's encouraging from a Virginia Tech perspective because this offensive line can't protect against the pass. They're giving up tons of sacks. They can't get a push for the run, at least not against the opponents. And so that's where we kind of have to parse this out. Like FSU, they aren't a great team, but they got dudes that can play D-line. Wisconsin, great defense. Purdue's a solid on the defensive side of the ball like they and Cincinnati we know is good so they haven't played just a pushover in terms of being able to move a defensive line so that hasn't helped them at all in addition to the injuries they got Carmody their left tackle back last week but I think he was in and out and he's probably not 100 percent and so it's going to be touch and go all season for them up front they cannot get get a push it's just to your point it's that because of the who they're playing against, or is it really that bad? But it's it is you know their pass protection is bad. You know it's it's across the board. There's been I think they had I think Jack Cohn's take twenty sacks or something like that. I believe yeah, in you know it's it's pretty it's incredible. quite a few. Yeah, so it's been and bad. so let's talk about that quarterback situation because they took Cohn out in the Cincinnati game and they brought in Drew Pine. And just the fact that it's pine cone is just kind of funny. <laughs> but, but besides that weird thing, uh, pine is a little bit more mobile in the pocket. He can extend plays. And not only that, just simply because it wasn't cone and he's kind of a younger guy, I think it provided a little bit of spark, a little bit of the unknown. And so they were able to move the ball a little bit, score a few points with him in the game. I don't know if he's actually better than Jack Cone. And the fact that they're going on the road to Lane Stadium, you might want the senior in the game. However, it's indicating Pete Sampson, who you know writes for The Athletic for Notre Dame, he's indicated that it's probably going to be Pine. And I love the idea of bringing a freshman into Lane Stadium to make a start. You know, And I'm not sure if he's started a game. I probably hasn't started a game yet, right? No, I don't think so. I think he's, yeah. he's come in, but he hasn't started it it's it's tough um i i think it's probably gonna go pine's way based on everything that i've read but it is a very divided fan base uh i I was reading up somebody um i think it was on sb nation on the notre dame sb nation page they do their analytics breakdown it's actually really awesome uh if anybody wants to check it out but they were doing um epa for both those guys in the game and Cones was actually higher in, in EPA. And, you know, I think they're neither of them are good options. No, <laughs> that's probably the, the only way to put it is you have Cone. He's got a 61% completion percentage. He's got nine TDs, three interceptions. And then you got Pine who went 15 for, you know, he's 15 for 30 
with two TDs and no interceptions. So it's there's nothing that really it's just a small sample. You. Yeah, it's hard to tell, but I think it's probably going to be fine, especially if he has a little bit more mobility. Cone, from everything I've seen and everything I've heard, is more of a statue in the in the pocket. Yeah, Pine has this slightly better QBR, as you're kind of indicating there. So, yeah, I I'm not sure who they're going to pick. It's probably going to be Pine. However, I think I want Pine. Like, I yeah. think that I'd rather have Pine start the game, even though Jack Cohn has looked bad, because he's he's a freshman. And I, I know he's a COVID freshman, I believe. I think he played last year right. a little bit, uh, but I don't care. It's a guy making his first start in Lane Stadium in a night game. I Let's tee off. And let's make this guy's night a living hell. That's that's what I'm all about. Yeah, Nirvana would be getting him in, having him make a few mistakes, and then Tommy Reese getting skittish again, and then pulling him, and then bringing mm-hmm. in Jack Cohn. That's that would be ideal <laughs> yeah. for the Hokies is to have it just be uncertain. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, Tyler Buckner is the f- third guy in this equation, and. He's more of the Blumrick of this team. He's a runner pretty much only, and we may see him in packages, but I'm not sure if Brian Kelly trusts him to throw the ball. Right. But uh, let's talk about these running backs real quick before we kind of give our overall thoughts on the offense. They are super talented. Kyron Williams, despite the struggles in the offensive line, he does have almost 300 yards, almost four yards a carry, three rush TDs on the year. And he has two reception TDs and 174 yards. So in total yardage from scrimmage, he's getting almost 100 yards a game. He's a very, very good player. And if their O-line were just played a little bit better, he can be a major problem for us. Chris Tyree is the Virginia kid that we recruited pretty heavily, missed out on. He's got fewer yards, but he does have a touchdown. And they use him in the past game as well, 13 receptions and a receiving TD. These two guys are also... They're return men. <laughs> You've got Kyron Williams is the punt returner and Tyree is the kick returner. Yeah. If before the season started, if you were to say that either or both of these guys would be, you know, 3.8 per rush for Kyron Williams and 3.1 per rush for Chris Tyree, I, I don't think anybody's taking that bet that they would both be under through, you know, four yards per rush. It is, it's crazy. And they're super talented. They've shown it in the past. And I think it's, I, I really don't think there's much change in them. I think it really all comes down to the offensive line. And quite, quite honestly, uh, I'm just, I'm hoping that they don't just pick this game as we've seen in the past where we're, where we're looking at a running back or a couple of running backs. And it's like, Hey, yeah, they haven't done much this year. And then they decide to you know, unleash on us. So it's going to be important not to fall asleep on those guys because if we do, they are still extremely dangerous. Yeah, we saw a couple years ago in lane that running back run like 98 yards for a touchdown on us. I mean, it it can happen. Uh, I had a question for you. How many yards rushing do you think Notre Dame had against Wisconsin? Just just a wild guess. Well, I could pull it up, but I'm not going to. But I'm going to go with under 100. Three. <laughs> Three okay. yards yeah. rushing. Wow. 32 carries. That's incredible. <laughs> now, I know that uh, sacks factor in, and, and Notre Dame was sacked six times. But the fact that the net 
was three. That's kind of shows you one, how good Wisconsin's rushing defense is, and two, how badly Notre Dame is struggling to run the football this year at times. <laughs> wow, that is incredible. I don't know. I just thought that stat was wild. Uh, overall, on the offense, they um, they have some weapons at wide receiver. I mean, yeah. there's Austin and who's the other guy? Avery uh, Davis. Yes, Avery Davis. He's the slot receiver kind of possession guy. Yep. And then Braden Lindsey had a touchdown versus Cincinnati. But this is kind of – it's similar to our receiving core in that they need guys to step up. Yep. But I don't – I'm not sure – I don't know. Austin is probably similar to Trey Turner. I'd say they're probably on the same caliber. That's their number one guy. He's averaging 16 and a half yards per catch. That sounds pretty similar to Trey. He's got three touchdowns. So yeah, that's, that might be Trey and Tavion, him and him and uh, Davis. Um, But they don't have the lethal weapons like a Chase Claypool or a Boykin on this team. It was, it's the tight end, you know, yeah. it's, it's Meyer is there is the guy that used, he has double the receptions of anyone else on the team. So they've, they've got guys and there is talent. I mean, Kevin Austin is super, super talented, but getting them the ball is the issue. It's the same issue we have. So they're going to want to run the ball and we've been good at stopping that. So what do you, so what do you do in this game? You've got to do the bud thing. You got to load up you got to stop the run first and try to make them pass to these wide receivers, and hopefully we can pick off a few passes. Yeah, and if Mayer is, is not, you know, if he's hurt, that, that's going to change everything. I mean, to your yeah. point, 32 receptions, 360 yards, and three TDs. That changes everything. If, um, if he's limited at all, that's going to really make things difficult and have them relying heavily on Austin and Davis uh, and those guys to really do something. So uh, I think... Yeah, let's let's put it on the DBs to you know continue with good pass protection and uh, and you know really kind of hawk the ball, maybe get a few picks uh, and and keep our eyes focused and, and really stuff the box and keep Williams and Tyree um, with the production that they've had this year. If we can hold them to what they have been doing in these games, I think that gives us a really good shot. For sure. Let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor before we get into the defense. Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. One thing we haven't talked about too, too much on here is the Instagrams for both of those locations. They're very easy to find. If you type in Downtown Crown or Dominion, it's going to come right up. And they are always putting out what they just got in, their newest releases. And I will say... Sometimes it just it makes me want to drink every time I see them because it's like <laughs> I want to run down there and get that. And I don't live super close, but I still make a point to always stop at Dominion whenever I'm down in D.C. But their Instagram handles are a must follow because you're always going to know about the latest things they have. Downtown Crown is in Gaithersburg. Dominion is right on West Broad Street in Falls Church where so many of our fellow Virginia Tech Hokies live. So make sure you hit them up this football season. Say hello to Arash. He's the the beautiful person man walking around, you know, about mid thirties, good looking guy. Say, you know, two deep sent you over there and maybe he'll throw a, little, a few more bones our way. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I love it. And definitely check out their, their Instagram. And if nothing else, you can be making a, a list during the week of what you want for the weekend. Uh, as you're seeing stuff roll in for sure. All right. For now, Robbie, why don't you tell me what you're drinking? So I went with, you got me, craving for it in the last podcast you brought it up so i had to go 
with this season's Sam Adams Oktoberfest. And it is, it's good. I, I, we've all had Oktoberfest a million times, I think. And uh, every year it never seems to disappoint. I will say this year uh, is very good. If you grew up in the United States and weren't drinking kind of Oktoberfest and those types of seasonal beers, um, you know, too often, you, like you said on the last podcast, Sam Adams is really was the introduction, I think, for most people into that, into the United States. So everything, whether you think it or not, at least for me, when I'm drinking Oktoberfest or those types of beers, it, I kind of always come back to what, you know, what it's like in comparison to a Sam Adams, if that makes sense. It's, it's your baseline. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the baseline. And this one's just as good as they always are. It's, you always know what you're going to get. And, um, you know, it's, it's an awesome fall beer. I mean, you can't get any more classic than that. I love it, man. I am drinking the Aleworks Brewing Company pumpkin. Mm. Aleworks is from Williamsburg, Virginia. And I had this beer when I lived in Arlington all the time. They've been making it for many years. And a few years ago, I think I probably got it at Downtown Crown on one of my visits. But I was able to get it when I was in Virginia Beach on vacation this year. And so this is August. I saw it at like a Harris Teeter in Virginia Beach. And I'm like, I'm buying two, you know, two sixers of this and taking it back. And so I've been saving it and cracked them tonight. And I remember it being like one of my favorite pumpkins I'd ever had from several years ago. And it is very good. It's not disappointing whatsoever. The thing I hate about some pumpkin beers is that they're too syrupy. They have... I don't know if it's too much sugar or too much malt or whatever it is. I'm not smart enough to know. But when they come out syrupy or too sweet, I think they're kind of gross. This one is walking a fine balance between being a nice, just crisp fall beer and having a little bit of that sweetness. I love it. The Aleworks Brewing Company, Seasonal Selection Pumpkin, Spiced Amber Ale. I think it's it's probably about 5.9% alcohol. I don't even know if it's on here. Oh, 7.3. Didn't even notice. That's how good it tastes. 7.3%. Yeah, I love it. I would definitely recommend if you're down in Virginia, hopefully you can grab this. It works. I think I might've had one or two of their other things. They had like a, a pumpkin spice latte beer that Uh I had last year. It was okay. This one is better. You know, the funny thing about air works is it's, with all the flashy can art and everything these days that's going on in the bottles mm-hmm. and all of that, Aleworks is one of those beers that you often overlook because it's very, um, all of them, like even the Sixers have like the same brown across the top and they'll change the color on the bottom. Yep. And a lot of the bot, some of the bottles are just like gray. Uh, they don't really have, a, there's not a lot of flash to them. So you look, you look past them sometimes, but they make really, really good beers. Their beer is good. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with that. Let's get into the defense. So like us, I think this is Notre Dame's stronger side of the ball. At least if you look at the SP Plus rankings, they're number 17 in SP Plus defense and 41 on offense. So they are the stronger side. The, the funny thing is they went into overtime with Florida State. Toledo yeah. was kind of running wild on them for a little for a little bit there. So why is this defense ranked so high? And you kind of have to dig into the numbers to figure it out. They started off, it was a 41-38 game against FSU, 32-29 against Toledo. Purdue, who's not 
great, but they're not terrible. 27-13, and Scott's in 41-13, and then they allowed 24 to Cincinnati. So they've been improving uh, throughout the year, um, definitely. So I think that helps. But if you look at overall points given up, uh, I think the offense has really done a lot of damage to the defense. The defense has had to make up for a lot on, on the other side of the ball. And I think that has not done them a whole bunch of favors. So when you get into something like S and P that doesn't care about the score, they care about cares about, you know, efficiency, um, you know, explosiveness, those sorts of things. And it, it takes the score of the game out of it and it looks at field position, those sorts of things. I think that's where it really comes into play. If you look at that Cincinnati game, um, I think would they give two to twice they gave the ball to Cincinnati, like inside of their own red zone. And yep. you're not going to get dinged that hard for allowing somebody to score points uh, against you. If the offense turns it over that close, um, you know, in your own field position. So I think that's part of it as well, where you really get into the analytic side of, of how these games have played out. Yeah. If you look at their turnover margin, they're 23rd, which is pretty good. But if you look at turnovers gained, they're at eighth. So that means they're definitely losing a fair amount of turnovers that's dragging them down to 23. So it's a great defense at creating turnovers. Yeah. It has improved. Since midway through the Purdue game, they've only allowed four of 37 third down conversions. Wow. Four out of 37. That's like 12% third down conversion allowed, which is insane. That's got to so be. So they've been very, very country. good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would probably be number one or like number five or something. It's, it's insane. As it stands, they're 10th nationally on third down conversion rate in the country wow. on the whole season, even taking in the, the first couple games. So they're great at getting off the field in general. It's weird because the stop rate thing just came out on the athletic today, you know. And the Hokies were 17th in stop rate, which it involves turnovers and a few other things, but basically getting off the field. Notre Dame was down at 53. Wow. But some of that's they've given up a few fourth downs uh, and and random, random other things. But this defense is very, very good on third down and has improved. They get after the quarterback. I mean, you look at the sack numbers, 15, 20th in sacks per game. There's an additional 30 hurries. The combination, you're talking about nine rushes on the quarterback per game, sacks and hurries combined. Yeah, that is, that's scary, especially with what some of the problems we've had in our offense and with Burmeister kind of getting out of the pocket and, and throwing on the move. So that is, um, that could be trouble. Uh, and especially with the the new alignment that we're going with on our offensive line, I think that could be, that could be, it could spell danger for us in this game. That's for sure. Let's talk about their defensive line. It's a very good, like, rushing the passer D-line. They're 13 and a half of their 15 sacks have come from the D-line, uh, but they're 63rd against the run in yards per carry. So there's a little bit of a disconnect, and maybe some of that's on the linebackers and not on the line, but I, I'm looking at Foskey and Tagovailoa Amosa, the Emilola brothers? Emi, <laughs> I don't know. Ademimola? Whatever. Jason and Justin. Jason's the senior, and he does a little bit of everything. Two sacks, two pass breakups, three hurries, a forced fumble, and he's third on the team in tackles from the defensive line position. And you know how much I love those guys. So this is a good D-line, and they've been playing with 
Howard Cross stepping in for Hinnish. If they get Hinnish back, that's going to help that rush defense. Yeah, and Foskey, as you alluded to, he's got four and a half sacks. He leads the team um, there. He's a monster. Uh, he has a forced fumble as well. Just creates a ton of havoc. Um, and I think if if they do get him, um, you know, going, that could be that could be trouble. This Steve line, I am I am definitely frightened about, especially with uh, what we have going on in the offensive line right now. Um, yeah. I, oh yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm worried. This is a, I mean, if Hinnish comes back, Brock, well, I guess it's not Brock, it's Jefferson would be mm-hmm. playing center. That is a big test for him and Lasitas. No, Lasitas is playing tackle. God damn it. So yeah, the yeah. guard, it, that's not good because it, it makes our guard and center is like the weakest area of the O-line right now. Yep. And you might have a 300-pound dude who's the captain of the team back. Yeah, that could be, that could be... I would expect a lot of pressure in this game. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And how yeah. we we got to find a way to get the ball out quickly, which um, we, we know the go-to for uh, for corn in, in those situations. So uh, <laughs> we can we can expect a are lot you, of uh, screen plays. Uh, are this. you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I wasn't sure if you were going screen or jet sweep, trying to get those D linemen <laughs> running side to side. <laughs> It'll be one or the other. Let's. Uh, I will take the over in screen plays in this game. Let's put it that way. Yeah, there could be a lot of dump offs and hey man, whatever it takes to get rid of the ball cuz you're right, we it, they're going to be on us like white on rice. It is going to be at the quarterback's throat every single play. We're going to have to make a make quick decisions and get the ball out. In linebacker, they got a little banged up group here, but Bertrand is a beast. Yeah. His, he's got almost 10 tackles a game. That's 15th in the country, 31 solo, four and a half tackles for loss, three hurries in addition. The other guys are, they're fine. White, Pryor, and Kaiser, they're they're good players. All of them have double-digit solo tackles. They all have a hurry. A couple have interceptions. The one thing Pete Sampson was saying, that Bertrand isn't great in lateral movement, going side to side, if you can stretch him out. So we're back to the jet sweep. Right. But, uh but I thought that was interesting, but straight on, he is a very, very good linebacker. Yeah, and if you if you want a good laugh, I would take a look at, yeah, Bertrand and, um, and Drew White and try and pick out two more quintessential linebackers that you would expect uh, for Notre Dame, and I don't think you could do it. They're all six foot or six one, 200, 225 pounds, and they... Just, just take a look. You'll get a good laugh at it. But they, um, you know, they're good. <laughs> and they, uh, and Bertrand is the best of all of them. Um, but it is interesting. I hadn't read that on on kind of the the whole the lateral movement, you know, side to side movement of. Uh, and I of think, I think it might be like a little nitpicking, right. because I think he's probably pretty darn good. But if you have to choose a weakness, I think that's what Samson was saying. And for Notre Dame's linebacking core, I actually think this isn't nearly as good as they've had when they had like tranquil in them. Mm-hmm. They, they were dominant. So th- it's a good group, but I think the D line's a little bit better. If we move to the DBs, we got to talk about Kyle Hamilton first because he's an all American safety. He's probably the best DB in the country. Yeah. He's going to be a top five pick in the draft more than likely. Uh, second on the team in tackles, 17 solo tackles, three interceptions tied with Waller right up there at the top of the nation. 
two tackles for loss and three passes broken up. They got nine interceptions as a team. Yeah. So like, it's not just him either. Like Cam Hart has two interceptions. He's their, their best corner four pass breakups for him. Yep. 10 solo tackles. I mean, and there's, there's a few other guys, but uh, those are the two guys to know in the back end. I think. Yeah, you also have Clarence Lewis, who has a uh, interception back there, a couple pass breakups. So I, the the secondary is pretty good too. I, I think across the board, obviously the D line I'm most fearful of. Probably mm-hmm. after that is their defensive backs, and I think that's more because of Hart and Hamilton. I don't know. I haven't really put my finger on the rest of the guys to know, but those two are dangerous enough that that kind of make me uh, you know pretty fearful and. The the linebackers I'm I'm not really that sure of yet. I mean I think they're good and they're productive, but those those other two units are um, are definitely going to be tough for us. Yeah, despite the numbers on the rushing, I, I think the D line is really good, and they have a stud at each of the next two levels. So they're going to put a lot of pressure on Burmeister. And the pass D is still going to be solid. That's the thing is like, have they faced very good quarterbacks? No. Right. But we also don't have a very good quarterback. <laughs> so, like, I don't know if that's an area we can exploit. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a little difficult. I, it's, I, I can say one thing for certain that if the pass game, if we don't figure something out, we're going to be in trouble. I mean, on top of all that, you look at all their defensive linemen. I mean, three of them have forced fumbles um, on top of all the havoc that they're, you know, they're causing. And... We've had real, real big challenges of being consistent in the run game, and this game's not going to be any different. So we're going to have to figure out a way to get the ball downfield, um, or at I least know. get it out, uh, you know, relatively quickly. Yeah, I, I agree. We have to make some kind of an offense that's going to yield better than what we've been doing, and we talked about it last week. What can you work with with Braxton Burmeister that is his strengths and get him to to be in his comfort zone throughout this game? There is opportunity. You can isolate the safeties. You can work on the linebackers a little with maybe Delius or Gallo. There there are opportunities here. Maybe Tavion takes a few more slants than he normally does. Uh, But I need to see something. Burmeister has to play. Uh, uh, his A game, like he played against UVA last year. Like he needs to play his best. He needs to be accurate. He needs to be decisive. And hopefully that's what they've been working on this past week. Yep, I I agree. I wanted to just throw out a couple things that aren't going to make any of the fans very happy. These are trends. These are not (laughs) anything having to do with me. These are just trends, but I thought they were pertinent to the Notre Dame uh, series and game that's coming up. Notre Dame is 15 and four in true road games over the last 19 games. They haven't lost back-to-back weeks of the regular season since the start of the 2017 season. So same time frame. They haven't lost to an unranked team since they played us in <laughs> South Bend in 2016. That's 35 and over as unranked team since then. And Virginia Tech is two and 12 straight up when the spread is plus or minus three points since the start of 2017. And the spread is within that guideline because it's Notre Dame minus one right now. So since that season, when we beat them, when Notre Dame went four and eight, one, they've been excellent. I mean, they only lose like one, two games a year. But two, 
all the things I just said. They don't lose back-to-back games. They don't lose a lot of true road games. I mean, 15-4 and four is pretty damn good on the road. Um, and also, Virginia Tech is 0-4 after bye since 2018. Yeah. <laughs> so that, um, these are the, not favorable trends. <laughs> that's not That's not great. I don't. Do you have any trends in the right direction, Robbie? <laughs> no, no, none that are. I, I will say, I'm just kind of going through stats here. The, the other thing that I'm a little bit worried about. So, and this is kind of wasn't. I didn't caught this yet, but on third down efficiency, Notre Dame's about thirty six percent. On fourth down efficiency, they're about almost fifty five, fifty six percent on on the season. Um, but I do think that third down, I think that could be that's going to be critical in this game. I think we got to put them in some bad spots on on third down, and I think we've had been relatively efficient um, there. I know our opponents have been kind of up and down in, in what they've been able to do against us, but I think that's going to be also pretty critical here. I uh, I think both teams are going to want to run the ball. Neither team is going to pass the ball well at all. I would <laughs> I would hammer that under. I know it's already really low. It's like forty three and a half, but. I feel like this is going to be like 17-14 or 20-17 or something like that. It could come down to just who gets the turnover, who gets the pick six, who is able to create a fumble in the red zone, you know, and that that could very well decide the game because neither of these offenses, I think, are going to move the ball very well. Do you think Jay Ham dials up some more blitzes this week? I feel like you'd have to against Pine. Yeah, I think he definitely, I think he definitely will. Um, in especially if it's Pine, I think. I mean, it it kind of cuts both. Pine's a little bit more mobile, but he's younger. So, like you said, he's a little bit green. So that would be a better more bit. prone to the mistake maybe through the air. Right, and then Cone is more. He's less mobile. He's more in the pocket. So you would probably want to do it there either way. So I think any way you cut it, we're probably going to do that. Um, and it would probably, unless we're getting, unless we're getting beat because of it, I think that's probably going to be, um, the go-to move, especially early on in the game, uh, just to try and get some pressure and create some havoc and, and get those guys a little bit off kilter. With the crowd noise and with a potential blitz package on the table, audibling out could be difficult, all that kind of stuff. And that's what we need. Like we really need the defense to aid our offense in this game. And so hopefully let's, let's root for that red zone interception. Let's root for, you know, a a strip, you know, in the, in the backfield or whatever it is, because I think that is, is the way we're going to win this game. And I do believe this game to be very winnable despite those trends, because they're just trends. They're past things that have happened. They don't have any necessary, you know, indication of what's going to happen in the future. This game is winnable. We've got Notre Dame in a vulnerable spot. They're they're banged up. They're tired. They just played a top 10 game, which was emotional, and they lost. And we've had a bye week to refocus and refresh and get healthy. Like, this is the best possible scenario to take down a top 15 team at home. And it's sitting right in front of us. So if we bring our A game, we'll we'll win. It's it's that simple to me. Anything less than A, though, it, it it's not going to be a good night. Yeah. And I really just, we can't let Tyree and Williams get back to their old ways. Like, this is not, I'm just really hoping this isn't the game where they they turn it on. Because You look at Kyron Williams last year, 
he had over a thousand yards. He had 1,100 yards. He was averaging 5.3 a carry. He had 13 touchdowns. Chris Tyree was less productive. He had 500 yards, but he was averaging 6.8 per carry, and he had another four touchdowns rushing. We gotta just stop. Keep the pressure on. You know, stopping the run, and I think that's gonna be. If that breaks down and these guys start getting some momentum, that could really cause some cause us to have to change things up. That could be you know pretty damaging and allowing two not very good quarterbacks to have a, a little bit more time and open up things downfield for them. It's also a big coaching matchup. Like with a game that's a, almost a pick 'em at one point. Fuente can't allow himself to get badly outcoached because you can't overcome that deficit. Like Brian Kelly is a very, very good coach. I know that people don't like him because he yells and he kind of looks like a leprechaun and you know, he's kind of unlikable in general, but he's a good coach. And Fuente has proven multiple times that sometimes he, he gets a little too cute and that he overthinks things and he can't be this is a go for broke kind of night in lane. You you gotta put your cards on the table because we can't afford the coaching deficit. You need to at least bring your game up to a reasonable level and try to outcoach Brian Kelly. Because the the teams on the field are very close. Yeah. I think that's uh that's a fair way to put it. It is and I'm hopeful that we don't get in one of those situations like we had against Arkansas or against Notre Dame where we're, we're down significantly at halftime and we have to really show that in, in the second half. I, I just really hope that we can keep this close uh, in the first half. Um, and then, and for us not to make any boneheaded, you know, coaching decisions and, you know, put a, a green quarterback in on the you know nine yard line in our own end zone. So right. uh, that, no, <laughs> no cute shit. All right, yeah. no cute shit. If you want to run a trick play, I'm okay with a trick play, but none of the overthinking cute shit. Yeah, I agree with that. Just on our next two games, if you want to couple the Notre Dame and Pitt game, they're so pivotal to this season. It is really like the difference between being a dark horse playoff contender and firing your coach like yeah. that's what these next two games are if you win both of them and you're five and one yeah and you've beaten notre dame and Pitt, who are probably both going to be ranked at the time like you you should maybe be in like the playoff conversation like that's or at least the acc championship conversation yeah and if you don't and you're three and three foo's gone like because <laughs> we got four road games coming up after that yeah it's um it's pretty crazy what's uh we all knew that Notre Dame was going to be a big game, but now that we're circling this weekend, uh, next week, I think it's uh, it's pretty crazy how how critical this has become to the overall season, regardless of how things play out after that. Yeah. Let's get into these picks. GT at Duke. Duke, three-and-a-half-point underdogs at home. Georgia Tech coming off their, uh, their loss to Pitt where they kind of got embarrassed. Uh, I don't know why, but I, I'm going to pick Duke in this game. Oh. I, I know they got crushed by UNC, but it's the Coastal. And so I kind of just think weird things are going to happen. So I, I didn't over... Uh, I've been doing well. I went, I think, five for eight last week and eight for 10 the week before. So Dang. And 
Um, I was doing them quick and to the point, so I'm going to stick with that. So I'm going Georgia Tech. Okay. UVA at Louisville. Louisville did keep it close with Wake, but they ended up losing. I like Louisville in this game because I think UVA's defense will – I mean, they, they're they not good. But against Miami, they looked okay because Miami's offense is just so bad. Yeah. Louisville can move the ball a little bit. I'm going with Louisville to cover two and a half. I got UVA in this game. Okay. We're, we're, we're different this week. We're mixing week. it up this week. Florida State at UNC. UNC big 17 and a half point favorites at home. Robbie, who you got? I have FSU in this game. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. Going to take those points. I mean, it is a lot of points. I'm going UNC. FSU did get the first win. They beat Syracuse last week in, a, in kind of a, a funny game that was down to the wire. I'm going to stick with it. I, I like UNC. I think Sam Howell can dispose of these, these worst teams. All right. Next game, Wake at Syracuse. In the Dome, Syracuse six-and-a-half-point underdogs. I'm going to go with Q's in the Dome. Man, we are just going straight opposite. I have uh, – you're just going with the uh, the vaunted uh, Carrier Dome atmosphere. Dude, I hate that place. <laughs> everybody everybody hates that place. So I am going Wake. I think they uh, they take down the uh, – I'm the waiting for Wake to kind of stub their toe here, and it's just not happening really. I've gotten people, I'm starting to get people emailing me about getting excited for the Wake Virginia Tech game. When has that ever happened? So uh, I'm like. <laughs> for the championship? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's nuts. I, what, uh, I, got the, I got an email literally today about that. That's funny. All right, outside the ACC, Arkansas at Ole Miss, both of these teams licking their wounds this, it's so funny that you got these two teams that played Bama and Georgia playing each other the very next weekend. Ole Miss, six-point favorites in this game. Robbie, who you got? This was um, this one was a little bit tough. I'm going, um, I'm going with Arkansas. They really made me eat my words last week after after Georgia. But and it's tough because after that, both teams you would think are gonna try and you know, get this win, bounce back after after tough games. But I'm I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Arkansas. I'm gonna go with Ole Miss. Let's keep it different. I I I had I had picked Ole Miss before the podcast. I'm gonna stay with it. I just think Arkansas can't do enough on offense and Ole Miss is gonna, you know, score a lot of points in this game. Next one, Oklahoma versus Texas, Red River Rivalry. Texas, three point underdogs. I like Texas. I know we kind of talked about it earlier. Are we going to be the same this time? We are. I have Texas as well. I just don't believe in Oklahoma, and somebody has to has to beat them. I can't believe that they're undefeated with how close you yeah. know a lot of the calls have been for them. Honestly, I know that the Texas TCU game like wasn't a convincing, convincing win for Texas, but they went into TCU. They won the game against a rival in a spot where they often lost right before Oklahoma, and they didn't. They won the game. They dropped 70 on Texas Tech, who just beat WVU. I like Texas, so that's why I'm picking them. Georgia at Auburn. Auburn, 14.5-point underdogs after that crazy game against LSU. Nuts. But I, I I can't not pick Georgia. I got to take Georgia. Yeah, I'm taking Georgia as well. And uh, I think uh, I think um, Auburn may have gotten uh, LSU's coach fired. And I mean, Auburn just has like a horseshoe up their butt every year. Every like year. They, 
every year. They should have lost the Georgia State game two weeks ago. They really should have. It's bizarre. Uh, but they didn't because they don't. Next game, Penn State at Iowa is the last one we're going to pick. Top five matchup. I, I Growing up as a kid, being a Penn State fan, I hated playing Iowa. Hated Michigan the most. But I hated playing Iowa because it was always like it was like our Boston College game. Yeah. Like it was the sleepy game. Like you, they're always tough. They're probably going to beat you when you're ranked high. And this time I was actually ranked high too. So it's it's weird. Iowa two and a half point favorites at home. Um, no bias on this one. I'm taking Iowa. I have Iowa as well. Two and a half. It. I mean Iowa. I mean that game's <laughs> going to be like fourteen eleven. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be crazy low. That with Iowa's defense, Penn State's defense is good as well. It's it is going to be. It's certainly not going to be fun to watch. It'll be. It'll I, be fun I wouldn't to, think so. It'll be fun to see the results. It's one of those yeah. games where you you don't actually have to watch it, but you'll be very interested in the box score afterwards. I think Oklahoma Texas is going to be the most fun. I mean that there's a lot of great games this weekend, but that that Oklahoma Texas game I think could be a lot of points, pretty fun. Arkansas Ole Miss could be really fun. Yep. Um, I think our game could be kind of similar to Iowa Penn State. <laughs> I think yeah, I haven't looked at what the slots are, but I think we're going to get pretty good ratings as a 7:30 game and in huh. lane and the especially after the atmosphere people got for the UNC game. Plus, Notre Dame always gets That's good true, viewers. Yeah. Um, so let's not embarrass ourselves because I think there's <laughs> going to be a lot of people watching this game. Yeah, because the Penn State game's at four. The only other night games are Michigan and Nebraska, LSU, Kentucky, Bama, and Texas A&M. So decent games, but nothing, nothing that good. So they, we're going to be probably on par with them in terms of viewership, if not higher because of the Notre Dame bump. Yeah, I think that's right. And But down lower because of ACC Network. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, put it on the ACC Network where nobody watches anything. Amidst our, our biggest awesome, game of the year, throw, it, awesome throw it on the ACC Network. Our great yeah. TV contract that we got stuck with. Oh, man. Got to go ACC. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to the game. I am pumped. And like I said earlier, despite the trends, I do think – we've got a decent shot to win this game. I said it on Twitter two weeks ago. This is a winnable game that if Amari Barno and the defense can step the hell up and get after that quarterback, we're going to have a chance to win. And And I hope you get to see a win because you're going all the way down there. I know. I know. Me me as well. And I'll add one more thing to the podcast. We won't, we won't unleash this beast because I don't think Pete's even seen it. It went to our email account, which um, is a, a Gmail account that we check, but we don't we don't check it as much as we check our regular accounts. And um, there is uh, there's a couple folks out there with a bet um, with some pretty high stakes on it. Let's put it that way uh, oh, on yeah? the UVA Virginia Tech game. And I think it involves um, shaped heads and uh, like uh, oh jeez it's oh jeez so <laughs> and this came to our two deep account yeah they're asking I haven't if, checked it they're today. asking if we want to um, we want to participate and talk about it on the podcast I'm assuming so uh, it will be interesting let's put it that way we'll uh, I'll oh, let geez. you check out the email we'll start talking yeah, about I'll it on our, our next we... podcast. We stop here. Cool. I like it. Yes, you can reach us on Gmail. It's at 2DVT at gmail.com. 
Make sure to check out the website. It's 2dvt.com. You can stream all the podcasts on there and check out all our beers and check out our stats. And 2dvt on Instagram, 2dvt on Twitter. Hit us up. Send us anything you want. If you have received a koozie from us in any of the past four or five years, I just I mailed out the ones two weeks ago. Hopefully everyone got them. I sent out like five sets of koozies, maybe six. Um, tweet us your koozie pictures if you got them. If you're listening to this late in the podcast, kudos to you. Tweet us your koozie pictures. We'll retweet them. But yes, those are all the ways to reach us. Make sure to hit us up and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, Spotify. We're out there. Find us on every platform. And until next time, when hopefully we are celebrating a big win and Robbie is recovering from a great celebration, go Hokies.